0: Hello and welcome to the Mejlis podcast, Radio for Europe Radio Liberty's current affairs talk show focusing on Central Asia. I'm Bruce Peneer, host of the Mejlis and author of the weekly Central Asia and Focus newsletter. At the start of January 2022, peaceful protests started that swept across Kazakhstan. Other groups infiltrated the protests and sparked violence, seemingly with the aim of ousting President Kasim Jamar Takayev. Law and order broke down in several large cities in the southern and eastern parts of Kazakhstan, and President Takayev gave law enforcement agencies the order to shoot to kill. The government puts the death toll at 238. Thousands of people were detained. Some say they were tortured while in detention by police. Investigations have been underway since then, and dozens of people, including some police, have been sentenced to prison for their alleged roles in what is called in Kazakh "Kandi Kantar" or Bloody January." But justice seems a long way from being served, and on June 5th, the Human Rights Alliance of Kazakhstan in support of fundamental rights released a report entitled Shoot to Kill, that looks at the actions of Kazakhstan's government and law enforcement during the violence and during the investigations and court trials that followed. To discuss all this, I am joined by Tatiana Chernobyl, Almaty-based human rights lawyer, member of Documentation Center of Human Rights Alliance for Fundamental Freedom, that was established after the events in January 2022, and a member of the Coalition of NGOs of Kazakhstan Against Torture. Mira Rietman, who has spent many years in Central Asia and is the senior Central Asia researcher for, on Kazakhstan and Uzbekistan for Human Rights Watch. Yevgeny Zhovtis, veteran rights activist from Kazakhstan and director of the Kazakhstan International Bureau for Human Rights and Rule of Law. Thank you all for joining me. Uh, And Tatiana, if I could start with you just for the benefit of our audience, can you kind of describe what went into compiling this report and which people and organizations participated in it?
1: Hi everyone, hello, Bruce. Um, yes, in, in fact, there were several uh, organizations involved in drafting this report, and it's not the first report that has already been issued on on uh, what happened in January two thousand twenty two in Kazakhstan. So this one, "To Shoot, uh, Shoot to Kill" uh, report, was produced uh, and drafted by Bahajan Terigozhina's organizations, uh, Aruhaq organization, Aruhaq, also member of uh, our documentation center. And um, Bahajan has a whole network of volunteers who helped her to collect information, do, to document the cases, to interview people. She went through uh, around a thousand uh, of uh, hours of uh, audio recordings, talking to people, uh, so Mostly it was the efforts of her organization and our documentation center has a database uh, where we collected all the cases. So all that was, um, was included or all the cases were looked through and they were included uh, by, by Hajjana and others and drafting this report.
0: Mm-hmm. Okay, thank you. Yevgeny, uh, uh, if I could ask you then, I mean, you know, it, it says at the start of this report that it's being, it's being viewed from the right to life. Uh, and so how was the order to, the order that Takayev gave shoot to kill, was that justified in your opinion?
2: First of all, if we look at the course of the events, the events started absolutely peacefully. And in some regions of the country, like Mangistau region or Karaganda region or northern Kazakhstan region, there were no clearly violence at all. Somewhere there was no even the acts of actions of protest uh, in Mangistau regions, It ended up without any mass disorder or clashes with the police, and uh, it starts peacefully turning from the social economical uh, demands to political demands. But it uh, starts to flow through around the country, ending in the uh, southern part of the country, especially. Uh, with the violence. That's the key problem was what happens in this southern part where the peaceful protest turned violent. And, uh, and uh, at certain point it was clear uh, for us, uh, and including we mentioned it in this report, and as Tatiana fairly said, we have a number of reports related to the issue, including the report on torture, including the re- which is cited in this report including the report on the rights of detainees right, uh, who were detained uh, during the events and right after the events. But what is interesting that what happens in uh, Almaty, in Taras, in the southern cities of the country, where the uh, events turned violent, it was clear that it were, there was some kind of involvement of the local elites. And the uh, groups, organized groups, some of them were criminal, close to these elites. And at a certain point, it was clear that the law enforcement and the intelligence are not looking like too loyal to the central power and to the president Tokayev. That at certain moment, they start attacking, this organized group starts to attack the governmental buildings, including the uh, uh, headquarters of the police departments in the in the districts of the of the city, at least Almaty. That's what uh, Mr. Takayev said. From my point of view, was politically uh, not accurate and uh, <laughs> and not carefully said. But in principle, he was facing real threat to the law enforcement and police, and his uh, order which from my point of view should not be done by the president. It should be done probably by the minister of interior or the head of the intelligence who, according to our legislation, has this right to issue such order to shoot without warning if there is the imminent threat to the life and well-being of the police or the third parties. There were some kind of reasons to make this order but this order was issued by the or was stated by the president in a very tense political situation and was let's say so reviewed or was viewed by the people as the right to shoot in general it's not the right of the law enforcement to use weapon against the attackers of their headquarters or something like that but in general and the, and what looks like, uh, and what is uh, established in our report that it certain, in certain way the law enforcement look at this order the, as the right to shoot in general, and this is a problem with this order and the context in which it was stated.
0: Okay, thank you. Uh, you know we're going to keep developing this point a little bit, but I want to bring Mira into this this conversation right now too. The discussion. Um, how's the one? What about the? This alleged coup. I mean, the government's been really cagey about that. I mean, I think it's worth clarifying that this is really what sparked it. But although there are some officials who have been prosecuted and, and put in, actually put in prison, the government doesn't talk very much about exactly what was behind the violence. And and then I'm also curious about um, the violence itself. And and uh, you know, like Yevgeny said, it seemed to be an order, just a blank check to shoot to kill. Can you talk a little bit about some of the people who? Or some of the cases where people don't seem to have really been involved in the protest or certainly not in the violence, and yet they were shot and killed.
3: Thanks, Bruce. Um, actually, that was one of the the moments uh, that stood out to me from the report uh, is the documentation of several cases of children. There was a four-year-old girl who was uh, indiscriminately fired on. There was another boy who was just 12. Um, there was a family with a 15-year-old daughter who was killed during uh, outside curfew hours. And there are many other cases documented in the report. I can also add that Human Rights Watch, uh, in our own reporting on what happened in January uh, last year, also found documented um, uh, times at which Kazakh authorities used excessive force. Uh, We looked specifically uh, in Almaty between January 4th uh, and 6th, and we found four occasions in which uh, law enforcement used lethal force such as shooting at at, at protesters um, without apparent justification um, that resulted in the deaths of, of 10 people. And as far as your question about what was behind the events and whether it was a coup, I think that really that that question sort of speaks to the need for an independent investigation into what happened and and a sober look at the full context, um, also with a view, importantly, on uh, setting out the human rights violations and who's responsible for them, uh, because, you know, there is a, a dearth of accountability for the lives that were lost Um, The 238 people that were killed during and after the January events for uh, uh, and for the allegations of ill treatment and torture um, for people who were tortured um, in particular. Uh, And that, you know, that a year and a half on now, we're here uh, already in June uh, 2023. And, you know, despite some of these cases that have moved into court, Um, there is a very real question uh, that uh, stands before the Kazakh government about accountability for what happened and the the massive loss of life. Um, So, you know, and and who was behind that and how did that come about? And we're talking about individual accountability for each of these 230 people, 38 people, excuse me, dead. Um, Although the the report that we're speaking about today suggests that even there were more than that. Um, You know, that's outstanding still.
0: Okay, thank you. And Tatiana, I'd like to ask you to, to talk, speak on the same point. I mean, what have you seen of the investigations into into who's responsible for killings of, of what appear to be uh, innocent bystanders, you know, just civilians that happen to be in the wrong place at the wrong time? And also, if you could, you know, like Mira just mentioned, your report says 256 people and the government says 238. If you could tell me a little bit about that, please.
1: Uh, yes, not all of the cases of the people who were killed, given by the information that we've managed to collect uh were mentioned in the government's report and we are supposed that even more people who died during those events uh, will be founded found about later when people will be able probably to tell their stories or when people who are being missed uh, their stories will be heard of so that hence this different in difference in the numbers because not all of the deaths uh, have been recognized by the government as the deaths during those events. As for whether the investigation into the in, into what happened uh, then was in fact e- effective and satisfactory uh, no, and we are still waiting. And as Mira correctly said, uh, we are hoping there will be uh, an international or hybrid investigation. Uh, no, not hybrid. <laughs> uh, it will be hybrid investigation of um, the events of January 2022. Uh, um, meaning that there will be international experts involved as well as governmental authorities and, and civil society organizations in um, in, the, in the investigation of the events. And because uh, only it, uh, that independent investigation, not only produced by the government, will be able to show to everyone uh, what really happened. And uh, it's more than a year and a half that's passed uh, since those events. And still, I do not have the answer to your question, whether that was a coup or there was uh, th- that was something else. We still do not have the answer to that question. And rep- the report shows there are several, as they're called, myths in the report around the events. I don't know how long more we are going to operate with this word, myths, about the events of... Uh, uh, of those days especially when so many deaths are involved and uh, were, were the result of those events there shouldn't be a myth about what happened then
0: A oh, good point thank you uh, Evgeny Could you also um, tell me a little bit about the detentions and and it's understandable that there's disorder in this in the city uh and and you have to try to restore some kind of uh, stability, some order within the city. But the te- detentions seemed to go way over the top in some cases, and certainly the treatment of people who were detained. Can you tell us a little bit about what happened to some of the people once they were picked up by police and brought to the police station? Uh,
2: two weeks ago, there was a very interesting roundtable, original uh, discussions organized by the UN Department on Fighting uh, Drugs and Criminality, and the UN Special Rapporteur on Freedom of Assembly and Association exactly related to the issue of the law enforcement during the actions of protest. How the law enforcement is doing, what they are regulated by, and whether their actions are, let's say, so in balance with the threats they are facing. The problem is that in the events, gender events, we have several. Uh, let's say divisions of law enforcement being involved. It was the divisions of the police, so called public security divisions. Then it were the divisions of the intelligence, of the committee on security. And thirdly, there were the special units of so called special forces, which are not the uh, usual police, which is uh, used to for anti terrorist, anti extremist, and other anti mass disorder. Situations and when the people firstly were detained by these special units, these special units do not used to talk to the people or to let's just to detain them more or less in a good uh, faith and good manner. They used to beat people. They used to keep them in a special places and spaces which are not supposed to be used for the detention. And that this was the first a huge violation of the rights. It was several thousand people who were detained with the use partly of these special units. Then these, uh, some of them were detained by the so-called public safety uh, divisions, uh, departments of the police, and then brought to the pretrial detention center centers or temporary pretrial detention centers. We have to keep in mind that the police was very angry because they already have the information that at least 19 people were killed during these events uh, of the police. And that, and they, they, then they feel themselves absolutely, they have free hands. They, st- they were beating people and the lawyers were not uh, let's just allowed to visit uh, detainees. For several days, uh, we were trying, including myself, I was talking with the, ombudsman at that, ombudsperson so at that moment, to allow the lawyers to visit detainees. And for several days, the lawyers, I'm not even talking about relatives, could not have any access to the places of detention. And the people were held in these places of detention practically incommunicada in a in certain way. And there, there was no real access of the independent for me, in the medical examination and so on. That's in general, the whole situation was Practically uh, total lawlessness, and we exactly pointed out in our another report exactly related on this uh, situation of detainees.
3: Can I jump in just to echo that uh, our research uh, at the time last January in the aftermath of the, the events um, echoes uh, exactly what Yevgeny Alexandrovich was speaking about, that people were arbitrarily detained for allegedly violating Kazakhstan's peaceful assembly law. Um, they were held uh, for you know, up to days without charge. They had their phones taken from them. They were denied access to counsel of their choosing. They were, you know, lawyers talked to us about how difficult it was. They were running around from detention center to detention center trying to access their clients and couldn't, or in the rare occasion that they could, they have to go through multiple checkpoints to get to their client. There's also the issue of, of detainees being denied access to medical treatment. So we documented four cases in which, uh, you know, security forces forcibly removed injured protesters from, a hosp- from hospitals, uh, for interrogation and and beat them. And then, of course, on top of all of those violations, the, the sort of a spate of, of human rights violations that, that were documented, um, there's also then the allegations of ill treatment and torture that, that came out. And it wasn't just beatings you know it was suffocation it was the use of electric shocks um in taldy kurgan there's quite the high profile case of, of policemen that are on trial that were on trial subsequently convicted for using irons i mean really horrific methods of torture as well um, so I, I i just wanted to concur with with Eugene Alexandrovich in saying that it was a period in which there was a breakdown of law and order um, in and how the how uh, Kazakhstan's law enforcement responded to the events.
0: Uh, Let me ask you, um, has has there been, I know there's been a lot of complaints. So there's a lot of parents uh, that are saying that that my dead son was not involved with these groups. A lot of people coming forward and saying I was tortured. Uh, I want justice. I mean, how how, is that resonating at all? Are the Kazakh authorities taking this seriously?
3: Um, they're not denying allegations outright. Um, they the government has admitted that six people died in detention as a result of torture. Um, law some law enforcement officers, police officers, have actually been put on trial for uh, on charges of torture. But you know this is just so. So I you know I want to I want to acknowledge the difference between these you know these. Good steps, um, and you know the, what we observed in the aftermath of the Genre Zen events uh, many years ago, where there was a, a denial of. Um, any kind of torture, despite very credible documentation of, of torture, so there is that difference. However, we're talking about the tip of the iceberg. Um, you know, I, I hope that uh, Tanya can jump in and talk a little bit about the report that she was involved in that that was dedicated to looking at the issue of use of uh, of allegations of ill treatment and torture um, that emerged in the aftermath. But you know, hundreds of people have have alleged. That they were beaten, that they were subject to um, you know harsh interrogation measures that that you know amount to torture. And we're seeing just a handful uh, of cases that have moved from the investigation or preliminary investigation into courts. And so when we talk about accountability, it's not just acknowledging that there were incidents of torture. It's taking and it's it's executing an effective investigation. That means a timely investigation, and it means one in which perpetrators are held accountable. So here we are, one and a half years on, and we have over a thousand people that have been criminally prosecuted for you know participation in mass riots and other uh, alleged crimes that took place uh, in the context of the uh, events themselves. And we can count on one hand, you know, or not one hand now or three hands, um, how many police officers have been held accountable, um, and even less, and we can count on one hand, how many law enforcement officials have been held accountable in connection with the deaths of individuals who were killed during the the January events. Uh, So I want to highlight that here when we talk about accountability, we're talking about accountability for torture, and we're also talking about accountability for the loss of life. And to date, there has been exactly one law enforcement officer who has been convicted in connection with the death of, of a civilian um, in the January events. And so that that disbalance between how many uh, protesters and others have been prosecuted and how many law enforcement officials have been held accountable, either for torture or for actions that led to deaths, um, is really stark. And that's where the government has fallen short of its commitments and where I see a real need and, and echo the conclusions of the report that we're talking about. Human Rights Watch has also called for this for the involvement of independent experts to look at the handling of the investigation because Kazakh government so far has not been able to, to establish accountability for the human rights, the grave human rights violations that took place last January and in the immediate aftermath.
0: Okay, thanks. Uh, And Tatiana, I'll bring you in in just a second, but I I just wanted to remind our listeners that uh, I'm here today with Mira Rietman, Senior Central Asia Researcher on Kazakhstan and Uzbekistan for Human Rights Watch, Yevgeny Joftis, Director of Kazakhstan International Bureau for Human Rights and Rule of Law, and Tatiana Chernobyl, Human Rights Lawyer from Almaty, who's working with the Coalition Against Torture, a non-governmental organization, and we're talking about the recent report "Shoot to Kill" about the role of Kazakhstan's government and law enforcement during the violence in 20, January 2022, and the investigations and court trials that have followed. Uh, Tatiana, please, um, you know, tell us what you know. You know the, the process, the detentions, uh, you know the, the investigations. Uh, people that are saying that they're they're innocent and they were wrongly picked up, or their their relatives were killed, and they weren't shouldn't have been. They weren't even involved.
1: Um, yes, as Evgeny was saying, the, everything what was happening during those days seemed to happening in the atmosphere of uh, total lawlessness. And uh, can this be justified by what was happening or allegedly was happening during those events, even if it were a coup? I don't think so, because uh, the pro- pro- procedure and the proceedings, everything should be in place. It shouldn't be... Government shouldn't be taken by surprise uh, if something like that is happening. Yes, indeed, many people were just rounded up, uh, put in uh, police cars or in other vehicles and taken uh, what seems randomly to random places, not absolutely dedicated to keeping people in detention, uh, sport halls or somewhere else, uh, military stations. So uh, no safeguards against torture uh, were met and uh, that's exactly why torture did happen. And what uh, struck me as someone who has been working on torture for many, many years uh, was uh, this um, feeling that those people who were committing torture, for instance, they were acting uh, knowing that there won't be any accountability for them. So this that they, they knew they were acting uh, lawfully or rightly. This, this is what shocked me because there were so many cases, so many cases, and, and that difference in the numbers that Mira en- uh, mentioned between people uh, who fell victims to those events and uh, uh, people who represented the government, not only for torture or killing someone, because there were many violations of human rights that happened in those events, so that difference in numbers speaks for itself. So n- no proceedings were followed. And uh, y- and this kept you wonder, what happened to the law? What happened to the rule of law? What, w- what was there happening in those events that completely uh, made the system fall to pieces? So I want the answer to this question as well.
0: Uh, uh, thank you, Tatiana. Um- and uh, and uh, Evgeny, if I could go to you, um let's, okay, we've, we've gone through the detention, pro- the violence and the detention process. If we can talk a little bit about the, the investigations and trials that followed. I mean, you know, we've got hundreds and hundreds of people that are being tried here. Do you, is it your opinion that the courts, you know, paid sufficient attention to this kind of thing? I mean, there's actually trials still going on a year and a half later, but I mean, we're you, were the trials free and fair as far as you could see? Did the defendants after uh, they were you know, at least charged, did they have access to adequate legal representation? Did the, the trial proceedings go fairly with the witnesses called and everything? Uh, what's your opinion?
2: Uh, first of all, uh, I want to echo what Tatiana said. I'm also very doubtful about the, let's say, so the theory that it was the coup d'etat. But the problem is that if we want, To have the answer on uh, on this question, we have to have the open and free and fair trial against the uh, alleged organizers. But the trial of Mr. Massimo, the head of the Committee on Security, was closed. A number of other uh, investigations are closed, especially when it relates to the members of the intelligence of the special forces and so on. A number of uh, investigations on uh, death uh, cases when the people were murdered, are also uh, in the closed procedure, made secret. That the first problem is that the investiga- investigation itself is under the question. Plus, we have to mention one important uh, provision of Kazakh law, which allows the uh, investigators to take the su- subscription from the lawyers uh, and from the witnesses and from the experts. On non-disclosure of any information about the case. And this is what they're using in these cases widely. And that's, first of all, on the pretrial stage, when we're dealing with the investigation as such, we're ready not observing any kind of free and fair trial standards, including the quality of arms. Because the problem of the, for the lawyers, starting from the beginning, where they, they could uh, have the access to their clients and ending with the access to the evidence and so on, were already violated. And there was a lot of problems with such investigations. Now we are going to the trial. As I said, we are planning to publish probably in, in July the report on the right to free and fair trial, uh, which was observed or not observed in the trials related to general events. But already when we are talking about the trials as such, we see that the courts in general, if they do not have so-called political instruction to apply amnesty or to be more or less human and so on, they are following uh, the let's say so the so-called accusatory uh, accusatory uh, approach. And I will give the very simple example that the people who were found guilty for torture, which led to the uh, murder of the person in Almaty, they were sentenced to some of them were sentenced to ten years of imprisonment. And at the same time, in another city of uh, Kazakhstan, the, pers- the uh, protester who was accused of at, uh, hurting two policemen with, his- with the car, where the policemen do not suffer any uh, kind of injuries, he was sentenced, if I'm not wrong, to 18 years of imprisonment. We see inequality even in sentencing. That's, at this point, we could say that as on the stage of investigation, as on the stage of tri- uh, court trial, we are still uh, uh, could not ex- we are not expecting and, and not witnessing the observation of the right to free and fair trial, and different approach and selective approach to the protesters uh, who are on trial and the law enforcement.
0: Uh, thanks. Let me follow up with a question. Then, do you have any sense of how many people that were charged with a crime connected with uh, with uh, violence in January the, among the protesters, civilians? Uh, are most of them convicted and sent to prison? Or are have have some of how many you know roughly how many have been acquitted and how many have been convicted and sentenced?
2: It's very difficult to say about the figures. First of all, I could say you that what related to the led uh, to any kind of theft or uh, attacks on the shops and so on, the authorities tried to go in a more or less moderate manner and uh, most of them were not sentenced to uh, imprisonment. They were The alternative sanctions were used in probably 90% of cases. What relates to the those who were involved in the violent actions, there is also the authorities uh, last year declared the amnesty and they start to use the amnesty in uh, certain cases. In last trials, only two people were sentenced to imprisonment out of probably, if I'm not wrong, 10, and date where either amnesty was used in their cases, or they received the alternative census, not imprisonment. That in general, not so many people, uh, the, the authorities tried to, to, to keep some kind of uh, sensible approach to, to, to look at the situation, not, not to... Irritate the public because it's already the huge tragedy, but at the same time, I could not. I I think that the figures, like about one thousand, probably was tried in that or another way. In this, in the January events, I could not say that probably around at this point I could not say that several dozens probably were sentenced to imprisonment. But we have to check because, as I said, you we are still collecting information on monitoring of the trials which were executing uh, together uh, jointly with our partners. But in general, as I said already, there is clear, uh, let's say, not equal approach to the protesters and to the law enforcement because law enforcement al- re- are already the subjects of the same amnesty as the protesters.
0: Okay, thanks. Um, you know, Mira, I'd like to give you a chance to follow up on that a little bit too. Are there two different systems of justice being meted out here? I mean, you know, one for the protesters and another for law enforcement?
3: Well, um, I think we can say that the authorities have, from the very beginning, defended the conduct of security services and, and law enforcement in responding to the events. Um, and I can just highlight uh, that there are several cities, Shymkent is one of them, I don't have, uh, uh Taras, where authorities have closed investigations into the deaths of people killed in those cities um, on grounds that the actions of law enforcement officers did not constitute a crime. And so you know, that really suggests to me, to us at Human Rights Watch, that you know there's a disregard and, and somewhat to some extent a contempt for justice um, in in looking at the deaths of protesters compared to the role or the actions of law enforcement. and as we've seen in in terms of numbers that we're aware of that there is a there is a very sort of skewed or disproportionate it's not not disproportionate but that many many protesters have been prosecuted whereas law law enforcement um, that has been held accountable are, are very few in number. And so yes, I, I think that that indeed uh, the Kazakh government has not set out, to effectively investigate and hold accountable uh, law enforcement at the multiples, you know, levels from those that were perpetrating torture against protesters and detention all the way up to you know uh, higher sort of senior officials who may not have been directly involved in violence but were responsible for giving commands that that has not been the focus of their investigation the focus of the investigation was very much on prosecuting those who were allegedly involved in the mass riots quote unquote
2: and may I add something if possible Bruce It is important to notice that according to the basic rules of the conduct of law enforcement which were, are adopted by UN, the one of the key issues whether or not the high rank officers are brought to justice and are held responsible for the actions of their uh, staff. And we do not see any kind of such proceedings in the general events. We had not heard about any, except probably one head of the Almaty regional police, but it is not in connection with murder of people or with the killings or with the torture. We could not hear that somebody of these officers, high-rank officers, the heads of the departments and so on, were, were, brought to, were charged with the wrongdoing because of the torture and uh, and uh, killings executed by their staff,
0: no, great, that's a good, a good point. Thank you for for mentioning that. And you know, and Tatiana, I'd like you to follow up on that. I mean, who who, who you don't have to name names, but what positions, what what uh, uh, people should be answering questions about, in your opinion, about what happened in January? Which officials?
1: Uh, the president himself, in the first place. Uh, I think we all. Uh, need some uh, apology uh, from from the high officials for what was happening, uh, even if uh, they don't want to disclose or don't know themselves. For instance, while still investigating what was happening, what happened uh, to all of us, uh, at least uh, an apology so far would be good. So the president himself, uh, uh, police ministry, it's the ministry of internal affairs, absolutely. Then I would also say that uh, someone from the Ministry of Information and Public Accord, as it's called here, uh, for for, for all the information that was uh, released by the government in those days, uh, because, as you know, the Internet was... We were cut off from the Internet, and we had to rely only on the the information that was uh, produced and given to us by the government, so someone from the from from the ideological uh, minister department should also uh, explain, if not kept accountable, what was happening. And absolutely, those who cut off the internet, also those people, has, because of the cut off of the internet shutdown, mass shutdown of the internet, alongside all uh, throughout all uh, of Kazakhstan. So. Uh, there were many violations of human rights that happened, and uh, I mean not only to to the detriment of the people who um, suffered or who fell victims to the events, but uh, casualties of that internet shutdown, so called. For instance, pe- pe- for instance, people with disabilities who relied on the internet or. Uh, on delivery of some of the goods over the services that you uh, access by by the internet so they were absolutely cut off that uh, opportunity so there were many cases documented by us uh, about that so that ministry of um, digitalization and uh, uh, information and um, uh, the military also ministry ministry of um, defense I think those guys. And probably also the human rights ombudswoman. Uh, um, um, it was an ombudswoman um, then. Now it's an ombudsman. Um, she was. Um, she, she should not be held accountable, of course, because she was one of the first uh, who accessed and got access to the places of detention. But some uh, explanations from, uh, from her, how she was acting or trying to act.
0: Okay, thanks. Uh, you know we're we're getting close to the end of the show, so I'm going to give everyone a chance to um, say whatever they want to say that, that I might have missed as a question. But also uh, take into consideration what would be one of the first steps you would recommend authorities take to try to make this right. Uh, and I'll start with you, Mira.
3: Well, I have two things to say about that. One um, would be to engage with the contents of this report that was the subject of our discussion today. There are concrete questions that were posed by civil society involved in the drafting of that report to which they didn't get a response Um, even though they had reached out to to government ministries asking those questions. Um, And there are concrete recommendations um, for the government. Uh, So I'd like to see the authorities uh, really grapple with the contents and the findings and the recommendations and the conclusions because there's you know this is the most comprehensive document to have been published so far on the rights violations that occurred during and after the January events. Um, and I think the government owes it to its citizens and its and civil society that has t- painstakingly put this together to engage with it. And then, in answer to the question about what uh, the government can do, I think at this stage it, it's it's it would do a lot um, to show good faith in terms of accountability for what happened to invite uh, international, independent experts, non-Kazakh government officials to work with Kazakh government in uh, investigating. What happened in January and, and taking stock of the human rights violations that occurred uh, to come up with a, a report uh, of some sort that that really sets out what happened, the violations that occurred and, and the steps forward. Um, and that's you know, I, there's a lot of distrust of how the Kazakh government has handled Uh, both its response to the violence uh, and the events in January itself, but also the investigations that followed. And so I think that, you know, this is, we've heard over and over again calls for um, an effective, independent, impartial investigation. And and it's not too late to do that. Um, You know, people are still looking for justice for their loved ones. And that would be a very meaningful step that the government, the Kazakh government could take today, tomorrow, tomorrow, to start uh, to address the need for accountability for what happened so that it doesn't happen again.
2: Thank you. Evgeny? First of all, I think that we have to learn lessons. We are still following the same mistakes which were done after the uh, events of 1986 in Almaty, 2011 in Jeanne and now 2022 all around the country. This is a problem that uh, we still do not have. In, 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 in uh, 2011, there was no even any kind of commission or investigation commission or inquiry commission which was created. There was the commission on 1986 Almaty events which was organized by the, but after the Soviet Union collapsed. And, uh, and now again, we do not have any even internal national commission. Look at the parliament. This is another issue. In 2011, in 2023, it looks like we do not have, we really do not have a, separa- a real separation of powers, a real system of checks and balances, a real role of the parliament as the representative body. Because from my point of view, when the event started, immediately the parliamentary commission should be established and should start to investigation its own. We have investigation by the police or by the prosecutor's offices, police and committee but not investigation in general, not the criminal investigation, but the investigation, the analysis of the whole situation, which was not done by the parliament, and the parliament held hearings only earlier this year where the general prosecutor reported about the events. That's, there is a lot of problems which, from my point of view, arises out of the, of the political system of the lack of the rule of law in a sense, in a democratic sense, in the lack of the uh, uh, independent, let's say so, independent uh, political opposition, lack of independent media and so on. It's the political issues. It's not only the problems of the law, of the reaction of the government. It's to a certain extent, from my point of view, reflects the consolidated authoritarian regime in power, and this is a problem. But anyway, we have to keep them accountable. We have to call for the international investigation, do what we are trying to do, collecting information and trying to disseminate it. This is what we can and what we have to call on anytime we can.
0: Okay, thank you, Evgeny. And Tatiana, you get the last word.
1: Thank you for, 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 this, for this discussion. I think what the government owes us is uh, the truth they should acknowledge the facts, they should uh, acknowledge uh, the truth and face this truth bravely and share share this with us until uh, we discuss that openly uh, at a round table, so to speak, the government and the public. There won't be... No reconciliation, because you know those commissions, international commissions that uh, are set up in different parts of the world where conflicts happen, truth and reconciliation they are called. So we won't be able to approach a reconciliation stage until we know the truth. Uh, but so far, as we have those cases classified, so far the, as the government distrusts the public, uh, we are... We will never be able to approach this reconciliation stage. So, yeah, I think we should know the truth. We deserve to know the truth.
0: Okay, thank you. Uh, you know, obviously a, a huge topic, and I'd like to remind our listeners too that you can find this report at uh, one of the places you can find this report is. Uh, at Yevgeny's organization, and, and that is Bureau.KZ, and the report is called Sterlatsna Parajenia in Russian. They also have it available in Kazakh. I'd like to thank Yevgeny, Tatiana, and Mira for being my guests today on the program. And a big thank you, as always, to Nathan Shoemaker, our Mejlis podcast producer in Washington, D.C. And a reminder, you can subscribe to the Mejlis podcast or the Central Asian Focus newsletter by visiting Radio for Europe Radio Liberty's website at RFARL.org. Thank you very much, and we'll be back next week. Bye-bye.